Good morning. Oh, man, that's loud. What a privilege it is to be with you all this morning as, as we look into the word of the Lord. Uh, please go with me in your Bibles or on your phones or reading devices to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It's also going to be on the screens as when we read it in a few minutes. And, and while you're going there, let me take a moment to introduce myself if we've not yet met. Uh, my name is Winston Miller, and I've recently come on board the staff of Rio Vista Community Church as a pastor in residence of community formation. And it's been a real treat getting to know our community group leaders and uh, look forward to supporting and praying with all of the members of our community groups, our many community groups. I'm also a part of the City Church Project. Uh, Rio is a part of that project along with City Church Fort Lauderdale and City Church Pompano Beach. And the mandate of the City Church Project is to seek the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of South Florida through the planting of churches. So my wife, my children, and I, my wife Brenda and, and our children, we're here at Rio as we prepare to plant a church in Lauderhill. It's about 20 minutes northwest of here. And as Matt mentioned, last week we completed our series addressing 21 questions that we received from Christians and non-Christians alike about God, about the Bible, and about life. And today we start a new series on what Jesus gave us. So over the next few weeks, we'll examine from the Bible what are those tools, those, those gifts and instructions that Jesus gave to his followers after his death and after his resurrection. And as Tom preached last week, Jesus' resurrection after dying and, and being buried, it makes the Christian belief different from all other religions. And I, I'd like to encourage you to watch his message on our website if you weren't able to be here. You see, Jesus didn't just rise from the dead and then die again as others have. No, the Bible makes a pretty remarkable claim, one that I believe and many of you believe, and it's the reason why we're here. We believe that he is alive. He continues to live and reign and is involved in the affairs of men every day. He's involved in the life of his church every day. He's concerned with and impacting every aspect of our lives every day for our good and for his glory. And, and the context of our passage in Matthew's gospel it's just hours after Jesus' resurrection from the dead and before he ascended into heaven. Before Jesus ascended, he gave his followers some instructions rooted in the assurance of his power, his authority, and his ever-abiding presence. He assigned to them the greatest mission ever given to human beings. He assigned to them a mission. And as the greatest leader of all time, he didn't give them responsibility without authority or authority without responsibility. Peter Drucker once said that authority without responsibility is tyranny, and resp responsibility without authority is impotence. Jesus was not a tyrannical king, but he was a loving and compassionate king of kings. And with supreme authority, he empowered his followers to continue his mission here on earth. And so he gave them what we now call the Great Commission, found in our text here in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. So let's look at it together now. 
says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission. These instructions define for followers of Jesus Christ what their life's mission should be. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you never have to wonder if you have a purpose. You have a purpose. You have a life mission. And the Great Commission is is not a mandate uh, for some special group of super Christian Navy SEALs, as it were. Great Commission is a life mission of each and every child of God. And if you've been part of the Christian church for a while, you may have heard about the Great Commission And it may have caused you to say, I I can't do that, or I don't want to do that. I don't want to force my religion on anyone else. That's not loving. But on the contrary, this is our purpose. We've been made into new creations and adopted into the family of God for this purpose. So in our text, Jesus is speaking to his followers on the side of a mountain in Galilee. They're not the same men and women that they were before they met Jesus. As they walked with Jesus, they saw how he lived. They saw the miracles he performed. They felt his mercy and his compassion for the world. And, but just recently, everything has changed because they watched him die. They watched, him, they watched his body being wrapped and buried in a tomb. They mourned his death. But earlier in the same chapter in Matthew, two women in their community, Mary Magdalene and, and, and another Mary, uh, met the, the resurrected Jesus on their way from his tomb. And if you glance at verse 10 in our chapter, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus instructs these women to tell the men whom he now calls his brothers to go to Galilee, a town where Jesus lived, to a particular mountain, and he would meet them there. And when they finally saw him, can you imagine? Some of them fell down before him. They prostrated themselves, just like the woman had done when they first saw him. They worshipped him. But some of them hesitated. That's what doubted here means. They weren't sure what they were seeing. Could this really be him? Could it really be that when he said, I'll always be with you, he meant it? Could it be that the Romans and the Jewish leaders didn't actually defeat him? Could it be that he was more powerful, more glorious, more death-defying than they ever thought? Could it be that he was more loving than they could have ever imagined? Why in the world, if you're the king of the universe, and you just defeated death, would you meet with this ragtag group on the side of a mountain and give them this monumental task? Think for a moment. How would you have reacted to seeing Jesus? Worship or doubt? How do we react today? 
or whichever may be your reaction, may we be comforted just as the disciples were then by the words of the resurrected Jesus. Here's a big idea from our text today. Jesus has both empowered us and promised to be with us as we make disciples. Jesus has both empowered us and promised to be with us as we make disciples. So I want us to look at three things that will encourage us that Jesus has positioned us to live purposeful lives as Christians in this world. First, from our text, we will see that Jesus has complete authority in heaven and on the earth. And second, we will notice in our text that Jesus promises to be with us. And finally, we're going to look at Jesus' instructions to his followers. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to at least consider the implications from this text for you and for this world. Jesus' complete authority, Jesus' comforting presence, and Jesus' clear instructions. And so Matthew records what many of us would feel about Christ when he says in verse 17, and when they saw him, some worshiped him, but some doubted. Believers know him to be our teacher, our, our rabbi. We know him to be full of wisdom. We know him to be a healer. Uh, and apparently he's even been raised from the dead. But is he really God? Is, is he worthy of prostrating ourselves, falling at his feet, of abandoning everything else to do what he says how he says we ought to do things. Is Jesus Christ worthy of our full devotion? That's what worship calls for, our full devotion. Jesus addresses their doubt, their hesitation. In verse 18, he lets his followers know that he's got this. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. There is nothing and no one with more authority than he. I used to think that the driving factor behind making disciples or evangelism was the fact that it is a command that must be obeyed. Go! But the go is followed by a therefore, because the reason that we go is Jesus' authority. Jesus addresses the fears of some of those who are hesitating in their worship, and he confirms the worship of those who are all in as soon as they see him. He says, all authority, that's where he starts, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And in this gospel, Matthew has been setting up from the start that Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Jesus has authority over life, death, and the grave. He has authority over, uh, uh, over demons, over sickness. He has authority over world powers and world rulers. He is the authority. He rules as the sovereign king of kings over everything. And, and there's a comfort that comes from knowing that Jesus is the authority. And many days I've missed out on this comfort, and some of you may have also. Why? Because there are things that we see as more authoritative than Jesus. And even if we may not place these things above Jesus intentionally, we've got to ask ourselves, do we see the powers of this world, political powers, economic powers, maybe even social or, or entertainment powers, as more authoritative than Jesus? Do these things command our attention and therefore commission our activity? What idols perpetrating as God have we granted more authority than Jesus? 
But conversely, what is possible because Jesus is the authority? The authority he has in the world is also ours as it relates to his commissioning of us because the disciples of Christ are in union with Christ. We're a part of his body. And in the Great Commission, we see that it's through us that he is adding people to his kingdom under his authority, under his loving and gracious reign. Who can stop us if Jesus is the authority? What can stop us if Jesus is the authority? Jesus' words to this group on the side of a mountain, they provide the power and the comfort that these disciples need in order to do what he's telling them to do. They've got all the tools necessary for the task because he is not leaving them without the authority. He is giving them what they need himself. And within just a few years, they would be known as the people who turn the world upside down. But you might ask, so what if Jesus has all the authority? Didn't he ascend to heaven as the all-powerful God and just leave us here on our own? The answer is no. At the end of our text, Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Growing up in a, uh, a Pentecostal church, I had the overwhelming sense that God was with me. We believed in practicing the presence of God, being aware of God working in every area of our lives because we believed that God was in control. And I'm grateful for the training, the teaching that God was really with me because Matthew starts his, his gospel in chapter 1 with the fact that Jesus would be called what? Emmanuel, God with us. And he ends his gospel saying, with Jesus saying, I am with you always. Until Jesus' death, Israelites would come from all over the world to Jerusalem to worship. And why is that? Well, that's where the temple was. That's where the presence of God lived. And that's where they worshiped. But after the events in our text, the disciples followed Jesus' instructions to meet in an upper room to pray until they were baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit who was also known as the Spirit of Christ. And in the book of Acts chapter 2, flames of fire, just like the pillar of fire that represented the presence of God that led the ancient Israelites from slavery in Egypt through the wilderness, here in the upper room, flames of fire hovered over each one of Jesus' disciples. And from then until now, Believers in Jesus no longer have to travel to Jerusalem in order to experience God's presence. Now we are the temple of God. And because of his presence, we know his presence is with us at all times and in all places, everywhere we go. So when we think about what Jesus said, I am with you always, he's not saying I am coming. He is saying I am here. And at the end of the age, Jesus will be back here physically, but until then, his very real presence is with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. He's not just watching over you, he's here with you. So as Jesus' disciples were preparing to go make disciples in every nation, baptizing them and teaching them everything that Jesus taught them, Jesus wanted them to know that they would be doing none of those things by themselves. He would be with them. 
And truly, friends, He is with us. And if Jesus is with us, what does it mean for us? If Jesus is with us, that means He, he knows me. And He knows where I am, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually at every given moment. He knows my fears. He knows my reticence to obey Him in this task. But He's not scared of me or who I am or what I could potentially do to really mess up this, uh, his plan to make more disciples. Remember, in our text, he's talking to a group of disciples that includes some, faith who's, some, some whose faith is lacking right at that very moment. It says they doubted. They hesitated to worship. And he still told them to go and make disciples. He's told us to do this not because we're fearless, but because he is with us. Check this out. He knows who I'm going to talk to about him before I talk to them. You know that? He knows them. He's, he's been working behind my scenes. He's already done enough to make my potential discipleship conversation a success, as long as I, I have a view of success that is his view of success. Because somehow, in ways we could never plan, the God who is in complete control with complete authority is going to be successful in drawing those whom he is calling to worship him. Because he is the one true and living God, the most loving work he could do is to capture the hearts of those who don't believe in him so that they may worship him alone. And that loving work continues through his disciples' great commission work. John Piper has famously written, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. That's why it says in Psalm 67, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Church, Jesus is with us. And we can experience his presence when we're about what he is about, which is making disciples, inviting the nations to worship the God who has loved them by sending his only begotten son to live the life that they could not live and to die for their sins on the cross. And after his death, Jesus rose from the grave with all authority being given to him. And he assures his disciples that as we go to extend his love to the world by making more disciples, more worshipers, he's with us. And with his followers made confident in his authority and assured of his presence, Jesus now presents his clear instructions To paraphrase, these are Jesus' instructions. As you go, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them into the body of Christ and teaching them to observe or obey everything that I've commanded you to do. Now, notice that he did not say, go therefore and make converts of all nations, teaching them just enough to be a, a good church member and to avoid blatant immorality. That's not what he said. He said, go and make disciples. So what really is a a disciple? Well, technically, a disciple is a follower of another person or another way of life who submits him or herself to the discipline or the teaching of that leader or way. 
And a disciple of Jesus goes even beyond that because a disciple of Jesus enters into a personal relationship with him, a relationship that is the the follower's eternal salvation, no less. This relationship is so close that the Bible describes it as being united with Christ. How do we enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus as his disciple? Here's how. Through the belief that on our behalf, Jesus lived a perfect life, a a righteous life that we're failing to live right now. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins, all of the ways that we disobey our God, our creator. And believing that, you're trusting God to not only forgive you of your sins, but to wipe all of those violations of his law from your permanent record, all on the basis of what Jesus has done. Mark Dever once said, being a disciple of Christ does not begin with something that we do. It begins with something that Christ did. And that includes your decision to follow Jesus. The disciples of Jesus who are being commissioned in our text are, are following Jesus because he so graciously and lovingly chose them. And he told them, follow me. And they did. And I want to encourage everyone to follow Christ in this way. Someone encouraged me to follow Christ and be his disciple. And the call from Jesus to follow me that, that came to us from a friend, a family member, or, or a pastor will now come through us to somebody who is not following Jesus now. Disciples don't just listen to their teacher. They obey him. One of the first commands of Jesus that a new disciple obeys is to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in the name of our God. When we're baptized in his name, we're both symbolically and literally identified with Jesus, his life of obedience to his Father, his death on the cross that takes away our sins, and his resurrection from the grave, which means that we are also raised from the death of our sins to a life of righteousness with Christ. To be baptized in his name means that we are no longer our own master. We're no longer the captain of our own ship. We now belong to the one who has saved us. And because of Jesus, of of what Jesus has done for us, we're grateful to live our lives in obedience to him. And in obedience to him, we make disciples of all nations, all nations. Jesus' followers originally thought that he came to be the king of Israel and restore the nation of Israel to political and military supremacy in the world. But throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus shows his disciples that he is, in fact, the king of the world. And it is through the obedience of his disciples, through all of us, that he pushes back the darkness of sin and brokenness that plagues our lives and our homes and our communities in every nation of this world. It's through the obedience of his disciples that the love of God is experienced in the world. So Jesus taught us to love one another, so we obey. Jesus taught us to take care of orphans and widows and the refugee, so we obey. Submitting our lives to this great commission means that means it means the salvation of every people, every nation, every language. 
And sadly, I haven't had the opportunity to travel to many nations yet, maybe in retirement. But what a blessing it is to live in South Florida. I was so excited to get back here after living away for a few years because we don't have to travel overseas to reach every nation. In South Florida, every nation is right at our doorstep. The city of Lauderhill, where we're preparing to plant a church, is one of the most diverse cities in the entire country. Over a third of its population is foreign-born. About a quarter of its population is from the Caribbean, nations such as Jamaica, Haiti, Trinidad and Tobago, the Bahamas, Guyana, Grenada, and many others, not to mention South Americans and Eastern Europeans. Every nation is our neighbor, our co-worker, our barber, our broker, our Uber driver. They need to know that their lives can be radically changed for eternity when they encounter the resurrected Christ. You've heard us talking about Alpha, a conversation that we can have with unbelievers. And I was in an Alpha training session for much of the day yesterday, and I was introduced to some pretty remarkable statistics for those of us who are Jesus' disciples. Listen, 47%, nearly half of millennials who are professing Christians say it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. And another statistic, almost two in five practicing Christians say they have no non-Christian friends or family members. Disciples, we've got work to do. Friends, listen, the Great Commission is an impossible, unfair task, maybe even an offensive demand, unless you've seen the resurrected Christ. Unless you believe that he is risen, he is risen indeed. Then the most loving thing that you can do, the most loving thing that I can do is to find a way to share him with others, to find someone, get to know someone who's not a believer, to love them, to invite them for coffee, to listen to them, listen to their story, to share with them the radical love of Jesus who went out of his way to, to love those whom society looked down on. Need to tell someone who hasn't seen him about him in the hope that they too would one day worship him as the one true and living God that you know him to be. Even some of the people that had been following Jesus around for three and a half years, his disciples, they didn't get who he was until that moment when they saw the resurrected Christ. I pray that you would see the resurrected Christ. I pray that he would make that difference in your life today. Flowing out of your relationship with him is his love for the world, the love that will not be silent because Jesus, the king who has all authority, has promised to be present with us and to give us the power to follow through on his instructions. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in this world. With, with my words in your mouth and by your actions, how you treat each other, how you treat your neighbors, you will spread my name throughout this world so that people will know that I lived and died for them. You'll teach them everything that I've taught you, and you'll be okay because I'm in control of everything, and I'm with you. Go.
matters coming at this time. And we're going to pray. Go with God.